Let's make today the day you start the business that will change your life. You'll learn how at Income School. Income School is about taking your income into your own hands by creating a website that people will love, building a following, and earning a living online. And now your host, Jim Harmer. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Income School podcast. I am glad to be here and to talk about some of the things that I've been learning over the last couple months. I have just been slammed with my uh, main business lately, and I haven't released as many podcasts as I would like to. Um, That's for a couple of reasons. Some of them we're going to talk about today and some of them tomorrow. That's right. I'm going to release two podcasts back to back, one today and one tomorrow. And in this, I just want to talk about things that I've learned over the last couple months. You know that I like to keep income school very practical and less philosophical of, well, you just need a little change in your paradigm and suddenly you're a millionaire. Uh, It's not like that. Sometimes you just need practical advice and that's what I want to make this podcast about. So let's talk about some of the things that I've learned. One is an awesome way to get some notice to your business is to make for free what others charge for. So over the last couple months, I've been doing trips with people that read my my main website and I've been, you know, just spending some time with them and helping them out. And I haven't exactly called it a workshop. It's just been something I've done. I've paid my own travel expenses to go, well, really all around the world now to, to help people out. And I, I don't feel like I, I did enough advertising of what I was offering. And one day I realized I went to my website and I thought, you know what, if this was my first time here, this website would not give me a good idea of what's behind it, of what this website is offering. All I see is a few recent blog posts and a link to one pillar article to get started on the website. I need a way to redesign the website so that it conveys all that we're offering. Because I think if people realized what it is that my, that my website puts out for them, they would have a very distinct impression of, what, of that website. So my main website is improvephotography.com. And so I thought, okay, what are the services that we offer to photographers? Well, one thing that's unique is I spend my own money to travel all around the world and give these free photography workshops. Photography workshops are usually extremely expensive, at least 1500 for even kind of a junky one. And, and some, some of the really good ones with, with well-known popular photographers are in the, you know, in the neighborhood of four to $6,000. They're very, very expensive. And I'm doing it for absolutely free. All you do is pay your travel, your own travel expenses. And I, I go out and, and help with those. And I'll spend some time with you. I'll give you a portfolio review. I'll teach you new things in Lightroom. We'll go shoot together. And I thought, you know what? If people come to the website, they'll have no idea that that's behind the curtain. Well, we also have hours and hours of video on our YouTube channel. Well, no, we don't really show any of that on there. What about the fact that every single week, usually twice a week, I have a free podcast for you that you can download on your phone and learn photography tips from me and and a co-host. And well, yeah, you can find individuals, but we just don't explain that right away. And the list goes on and on and on. I have free eBooks up there. I have 10 page crash courses and all kinds of different things that you 
you'd want to learn. I can save you thousands of dollars when buying photo gear because I've tested all of it and I can show you which which is the best stuff. And I thought, you know what, this website just does not convey that to a new website visitor. And so that's one thing, you know, I'm not going to make a knee-jerk reaction out of this and put everything to the side and quickly fix that. I'm setting it aside for my projects for next year. I'm calendaring out what I'm going to work on each month out of the year next year. And that's definitely going on the list is not so much a, a redesign of the website, though I may end up doing that. It's But mostly changing where those messages are and making sure the most important messages are shown up front. If that means I have to change the layout of the site, then so be it. But I'm hoping I won't have to do that and waste time, that I can take our current design and just find a better better way to put that most important information right in your face. So you get to the homepage and you say, whoa, this is incredible, instead of, oh good, more blog posts I can read. And so that's one, one thing that I've really been working on. Another thing that I started not long ago is advertising on my podcast. Not this one yet. I'm sure that it, that the day will come. But um, on my main podcast, I have st- I've started accepting advertising. Now, getting advertisers for your podcast is actually quite the trick. But uh, once you start to have enough download numbers, I would say in the order of oh maybe. 8,000 per episode, then you can you can start really getting some good advertisers even sooner than that, especially if you're in a niche industry. But, you know, the, the bigger advertisers are, are re- probably won't waste their time uh, if it's if it's lower numbers. But once you get get up there a little bit, five, eight thousand, then you can start really looking at it. And there are, I mean, the potential for advertising on a podcast is incredible. I even if not all of the ads sell on the on an episode that I'm doing, it still brings in about seven hundred dollars per episode, and it's just sixty seconds. Just quick, say the ad while you're doing it. Uh, about seven hundred bucks an episode, even if not all of the ads sell. So that's with doing. Two pre-roll ads, that's before the content, you know, you'll say, this podcast is brought to you by blah, 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 and a 10-second spiel, you know, their their thing. And then during the middle of the show, you do a 60-second ad where you talk more about their service, what it is that the company is offering. Now, that's not an endorsement. They don't own you and your recommendation. You don't have to only recommend their product from now on. It's just you're reading their ad and and uh, it's you can really do well with it. And I, I have held off on advertising for way too long. If I look back over you know la- the last year and a half that I've been doing the podcast and I've had pretty consistent downloads really since it began because I had an existing audience, I, I could have made well over a hundred thousand dollars by adding those advertisements i think i had my nose up in the air a little bit and i looked down at the shows with the advertising advertising saying oh you're just owned by the corporations you know uh i kind of had an attitude about it but you know what when it really came down to it i listened to the other shows that i listen to podcasts regularly and i thought you know what I don't look down on these people for reading an ad. It's part of the show. It's just, you know, it's something that happens when I watch Survivor on CBS. There are going to be ads. When you do anything, you're you're going to see an advertisement. And, and it's just something that happens as long as it's a product that I believe in 
and that they don't own my recommendation forever, then uh, then that's something that I can do. And so adding those advertisements has really been great for business. Be- and it's been great for my listeners too, because it means I'm a lot more motivated to podcast. It also means I can hire somebody to help me with my podcast and make sh- and have that those two people on the episode that really helps things to move along. So I I think it's really important. Now, how was how was it received? I added the the advertising advertising on there. I maybe received five negative comments, and I probably received ten positive comments. Now, those are too low of numbers to judge what it does. And there's something that I call the Kmart conundrum. <laughs> if you've ever been to a Kmart, it is such a frustrating experience. Same thing with Walgreens, in fact. You go there. In fact, I went to Kmart last night, and I knew walking into the store, I was just gritting my teeth when I would have to check out because they never have enough enough people checking people out. So the lines are always long. And then you get to the, you finally get to the person that's going to check you out. And they say, can I start with your phone number? And I say, no, I don't want you to call me. I just, I just want to buy a toothbrush. Um, and then they, and then they say, would you like to round up for charity? No, I want to buy a toothbrush. You know, and then they say, would you like an extended service? It's a toothbrush. (laughs) I don't want an extended service plan. And then you um, finally pay them. They say, can I see your card? You show them the card. And then after the sale, they hand you this huge receipt a mile long, which is annoying to me because I often have to save my receipts for business purposes. And so I get I get the receipt and she sits there and gives me a tutorial on the receipt. You know, if you go here to take our survey of how well we served you, then you might win $100. If you uh, look here, here's a coupon for your next trip back. And by the time that I was checked out, I was just so annoyed that I don't want to go back to Kmart. Now, we all know that a lot of companies give us bad customer service, but let me tell you how it happens. Some corporate person is sitting in a conference room at Kmart and they say, hmm, money's going down. Let's run a few tests in our stores and see what we can do to bring up our numbers. And so they run a test in a few stores and they say, ooh, if we give a coupon on our receipt, then we make, you know, 0.02% more per sale. Oh, victory. Let's do that in all our stores. But there's a problem. What they don't see by running that test is how much it annoyed the the users. And then they add another thing. And this time they're going to round up for charity. And this time they're going to add each of those steps. And each of those steps brings them more money. They can see the test results and they say, yes, this is working. But the people in the conference room forget about, and it's nearly impossible to measure, impossible to accurately measure how many people... When they're driving to the store and they see Kmart and Shopco right across from each other, are going to say, "Ugh, Shopco, I'm just buying a toothbrush. How do you measure that? And so that's one thing that I have to really think about when I make a business decision like adding advertising on the podcast is, yes, it's bringing in more money. 
But what about the Kmart conundrum? Is there something that I can't directly see in a number that could be affecting my customers? Now, in this case, I think it's easily worth it. It's easily worth um, the slight annoyance to listeners to get the benefit of, of, of giving them more episodes, having somebody to help with it, uh, of bringing in revenue to the company. Uh, I, I think it's worth it in this case. But Always remember as you're testing things, it's not only about the number, it's also about the experience. And it's, I mean, there are tests for the experience, but I don't know that even even a test can fully grasp just how a customer feels and when they're going to, to not want to do business with you for that reason. All right. The next lesson that I learned is direction over goals. Last week, I was in West Virginia. And I went there and I met a really friendly guy that uh, who was a service clerk, and I struck up a conversation with him, which was which was a little bit random. I don't usually do that, but he was just a nice fellow. And he mentioned that his brother died recently, and I told him I was sorry for that, and and we talked about it a little bit. Uh, sounds like it was a pretty sad deal. His brother was only thirty years old and died of a heart attack, and didn't have any underlying heart condition. It's just you know out of shape, not taking, taking care of himself and, and things struck early. And, uh, he talked about how he, he was concerned about, about his, about his heart and things like that. And, uh, boy, really, I walked away and I thought, boy, you know, I, I need to make even more sure that I'm eating healthy and exercising. And then later that day I walked past the desk and I saw he had a big plate full of cookies and he, that he was eating some of them. And then the next day, I saw him outside smoking and he was at least 150 pounds overweight with a history of, of a health of a heart condition in his family. His brother and dad died from heart conditions. And I thought, what in the world? He just told me yesterday that he has a goal to get healthier. And I realized this important lesson, direction over goals every time. What I mean by that is sometimes we set a goal but if there were a casual observer, if there were a fly on the wall watching us, they would have no idea that we were working toward that goal because we're not acting like we're working toward that goal. And I see that in online business all the time. In fact, sometimes it grains on me as I coach other businesses, as I do audits of other websites and, and help other people out. I, I see that they say, I have a goal for this to be the biggest website on unmanned aerial drones in the world. And I'm just going to have a ton of content and resources out there for people. And then I say, okay, what did you do yesterday? What did you do last week? What have you accomplished so far this month? And they say, I just redesigned my website. I just added a, a new product. And I think, wait, you're not on track to, to become that. It doesn't look like today you're acting like somebody who wants to be the biggest website in that. Your product may help you a little bit, but really that's for you to earn money. I thought your goal was for this to be the big, biggest website ever. You can worry, work about, worry about that later. You, you, know, you talk about, I want to have a ton of content, but actually in the last month you've only published four articles. And you know there are all kinds of reasons. It doesn't mean you weren't working on your business. 
It just means that you weren't doing the most important things to get you there. And I see that all the time. I'm absolutely guilty of this. And as I look back, I do kind of my year in review where I really analyze what did I actually get done in my business during this year. And some years I've looked back and boy, that was a real problem. I had all these dreams and goals and, and things that I wanted to have accomplished in my business. But when I looked back about uh, at what I was actually doing to get there, the two weren't compatible. And so I, I want you to really think about what is act, what daily actions do you need to take now that's actually going to get you to your goal. Because the truth is, if you hit on those most important, the highest, uh, the highest earning things in your business, and you do them just consistently over and over and over, you're going to have great success. You can skip out and miss a lot of little SEO tips and tricks and all things if you're hitting on those most important things very consistently. So direction over goals every time. Watch what it is that you're doing every day. At the end of every time that you work, you know, look down and say, what did I do for my audience? What did I just accomplish for them? And often you may not be happy with the answer until you start working at it. I have a post-it note on my computer that says, what did I do for you? And at the end of every day, I sit down and I say, okay, what did I actually accomplish? Did I actually publish anything for you? Or am I working on background stuff to eventually get to that? If that's the case, I got some real work to do on my direction. All right, a next, another lesson is definitely related to income, but not so much re- related to, in, uh, to internet business. But this is very, very important. It's one of the most important things I've learned over the last few months. I've been listening to Dave Ramsey for a long time, and he talks about the envelope system, that in order to organize a family budget, you take how much money you're spending. You know, you look over the last couple months, how much money did you actually spend on on stuff? How much money went out the door? And take that, put it in Excel, and break it up into some categories. The categories that me and my wife broke up for our family are... Uh, things that are related to the upkeep of the house, for example, trash service, water, sewer, uh, electricity, gas, all those kind of things that are just monthly kind of utility kind of bills. And we put that in one spot. Then we took all our medical, you know, you know, my wife wears contacts. So we, we took that and put it in there. We need to save up because eventually we need to go to the dentist, which I hate doing. Uh, and so, you know, that's going to be a, a cost every few months. And so we'll save up for that. Um, you know, if the kid needs a kids need a medicine or something like that. And we put that in a, in a medical budget, uh, a home repair budget, you know, a, a gym's fun budget. We have a gym's fun budget and Emily's fun budget that we get a certain amount per month and we can just go buy whatever we want to buy. I can go buy a fishing lure. I can go buy a, a treadmill. I can, you know, whatever it is I want to buy. I, that's my money to do whatever I feel like doing with it. We also have a family fun budget. If we want to take a, we just took a family vacation to Portland. And so that's going to be in family fun. We can go take the kids to the children's museum, whatever it is we want to do. So we have a budget for all those categories. We saw what we were spending and we saw what it, what amount we were putting in investments every month. We put it put every month into a mutual fund and we said, you know what? I bet there's a way that we could take what we're spending right now and cut out at least $1000. 
so that we can put even more into savings each month. And so we did exactly that. We saw what we were spending and we said, all right, let's see if we can take it down a little bit. And so we divided everything up into, into envelopes, into cash. We actually went to the bank, pulled out cash and put it in an actual envelope. And my wife has a bunch of envelopes in her purse and I have them in, in a drawer and I just take whichever ones I need when I go to the store. And we pay for cash with everything. And the benefit of doing this is there has been less stress about money. My wife and I never argue about money ever because we're totally on the same board on on board with each other. We know what we're saving for. We know what we want our money to do long term. We trust each other that we're not going to go buy something frivolous if, if we really don't need it or, or if it's not that important that it's something we can skip over. We have total agreement on money and I'm really blessed to, to have that in my marriage. But the envelope system has made it so much easier easier still because I never have to sit at Cabela's stewing over, oh, should I spend money on a $100 fishing reel? This is kind of silly. There's a $20 one right there that that really is going to do the job just fine. I never have to worry about that. And am I putting my family at risk if I spend too much money? I never have to think about that anymore because I know how much money comes in and I know how much money comes out. And I know that if I spend all of my fun money every month, we are just fine. And so it's total confidence. My wife never has to feel guilty about going and buying stuff for the kids if she wants to take them on a surprise trip to the zoo. Not a problem. We know exactly where our money is going. And so I would just really encourage you to be careful with what income you have. And it's amazing how much money you can save by just paying a little bit more attention to it. Since we've started budgeting, it really does kind of feel like we've we got a raise. I, I, even if the, I know the money, the the monthly income's the same, it feels like we have more because we don't have to stress about it as much, and we're saving an extra thousand bucks a month that's going into savings. Now. Depending on what your income level, your numbers are going to be different. You know, you may not be able to cut out a thousand bucks from your budget, but I'll bet you you can cut out 200. I'll bet you you can cut out, you know, this or that or the other and still not even feel it. In fact, feel better about your purchases. So that's one thing I've been learning about personal finance. And I'm anxious to apply this to my business. I haven't yet done it, but I really am anxious to do that. And as I finish up in December, our yearly yearly income from the business, I am also going to put together a budget for the next year for the business. So I don't have to stew about, should I buy this new piece of gear for the business? Should I do this? Should I do that? Because it's already going to be set out for me. I already have a travel budget, so I'm going on this trip, you know, all those kind of things. Well, those are, you know, do what other people are doing for charging and do it for free. We talked about that. Uh, we talked about advertising on your podcast. Don't have a, an axe to grind again against advertising. We talked about direction over goals and budgeting in the envelope system. There's just one more lesson that I want to share with you in this podcast, and then I'm going to share five more with you tomorrow. That is involve more people in your website. When you're brand new, this is difficult to do because people don't necessarily want to spend their time writing for a startup website. But as you start to grow even a little bit, 
you're going to find lots of ways that you can involve more people in your site, especially if you're reinvesting some of your money into your business. So I've tried it both ways. I've had full-time employees that worked with me on my business and we all kind of worked on things together and and made every every project that we did better. And then I've also done it the way that I'm doing it now where I have a distributed team. I don't have any employees at all except for my wife. I guess she's technically an employee and I'm technically an employee of the company um, even though I own the company. Anyway, whatever. Um, Having a distributed team is awesome. A virtual team is is difficult to learn how to do it, but it is so worth it. I have dozens of people now that write articles for my website. I am now hiring an editor for each section of the website. So I have a beginner basic photography editor who edits that section, who goes to all the writers we have and says, hey, I want an article on this to be published on Wednesday. So the person writes it, submits it to him, and and he publishes it. It's awesome. And then by having those multiple editors, it means each section of my website, each category of post is really building up and, and doing awesome things. And so that's something that I'm doing right now and I'm really anxious to launch. Having lots of, of writers has been great. Having one person to just be on the podcast with me is another awesome thing that I've, that I've really enjoyed. And what I've seen collectively is instead of having one employee, having a, a team of a lot of virtual people has been way beneficial for the business. I mean, I can't even begin to tell you how, what an increase in the business I've seen by doing that. And the cost is way lower too by having a distributed team instead of just one dedicated employee. So I would encourage you that as you grow your business, you work on ways to involve people. Now, the way that, I, that I've been doing it is by paying people to, to do different things because the business is, is running and I can do that. But even if your business is brand new, brand new, you can definitely involve people. Don't be the only one on your podcast. Invite somebody on for an interview. That involved someone in your business. And that means when that person talks about, you know, is talking about somebody asks them for a resource in your industry, they'll point to you because they know you, you know, ask for that guest post, go out to other companies in your industry and say, Hey, I have a Facebook group of 500 people. Could you give away one of your products? And I'll I'll do a giveaway on the Facebook page, find other ways to involve others. And every time I do it, it brings really good results. Don't be an island writing your own blog in the, in the, you know, far corners of the blogosphere, find ways to involve other people. Well, those are five lessons that I've learned the hard way in my business in the last couple months. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, and tomorrow I'm going to share with you five more tips. I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you. When you're serious about launching your website, check out Jim's free step-by-step tutorials at IncomeSchool.com. Income School is a production of Improv Photography, LLC. Any opinions expressed by guests and callers do not reflect those of Improv Photography, LLC. Results mentioned not typical. Some links mentioned are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Some calls simulated. Improv Photography, LLC is not a law firm and does not give legal or tax advice. Always seek the advice of a competent licensed CPA or lawyer licensed in your jurisdiction before making business decisions.